0: Uh, Before we get started here, I wanted to let you know if you have any questions that you wanted to ask our two guests here, please send them on Facebook. I'll ask them over and we'll get answers to your questions. So guys, uh, Patrick, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Yavapai Climate Change Coalition?
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, The Yavapai Climate Change Coalition is a An organization a collaborative network so we're not really a nonprofit but we pull together a number of stakeholders in town that are interested yes like NASCA that are interested and committed to dealing with issues at the local level around climate change so that would include like you said NASCA Sierra Club League of Women Voters Slow Food Prescott, Prescott Peace Builders, uh, Prescott Indivisible Environmental Team so it's a it's a broad a of coalition. Of as well, or Pardon me. Is CWAG
0: a part of that as well, or no? Gotcha. Not,
1: not technically, but we're gotcha. Yeah, no. it's just curiosity. We <laughs> with them as well. <laughs> sure, sure. The whole idea is that by collaborating together, we can have a bigger impact. Number one, but two, we can do a lot of sharing and develop mm-hmm. a common strategy. So NASCA isn't doing their thing. Sierra Club isn't just doing their thing. But, and it's been very effective in, the, in calendaring. So that's been huge. So there's a number of events. NASCA really holds the most events. And, but we all uh, cross advertise and outreach for all of those events. So that's been, I think that's really contributed to the scaling
0: up of the climate change movement in Prescott. Sure, sure. So Kerry, tell us a little bit about NASCA.
2: Yeah, I think Patrick's right. Um, I was uh, hired as the community organizer for Northern Arizona Climate Change Alliance. It's a nonprofit uh, based in Flagstaff, and um, so I'm a paid organizer. I'm the first paid organizer on climate change in this region. So um, my area is the Verde Valley, Prescott, all the way over to Kingman, and so basically the whole mission of our organization is to educate small communities at a grassroots level on um, the climate crisis and um, bringing in scientists and professionals um, as to the causes the solutions Um, we talk about diet we can talk about um, new farming strategies um, all sorts of topics so that's my job is to bring at least once a month, it's it's accelerated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as far as events, it's just kind of happening like movements are. So um, we have at least one event a month and we're a people powered organization. Um, that's what grassroots organizing is. So um, I have a dedicated local volunteers that um, I started with one in January and I'm up to 35 now here just in Prescott. And so once I we, we have event coordinators, they're all volunteers. So they would run it with my um, leadership and then they do the outreach so that I can then move to a new area. So for example, I just expanded um, into Camp Verde at the Camp Verde library. We're gonna be um, having our first climate change presentation there on November 16th. So, and then so the whole idea is that um, the education and um, community empowerment um, just grows. Giving people the opportunity to learn on their own and make their own decisions about um, the climate change um, crisis, um, you know, the environmental impacts that it's having, rather than just hearing what they have on the news so that they can have a dialogue with the guest speakers and get questions answered. So basically, that's it. And I'm local here at Prescott, born in Phoenix and then raised here. So I've been here most of my life. So it's kind of fun to. I love this job it's it's perfect for me I'm an organizer I don't know a whole lot about the science but that's not what my job is I'm to bring in the experts and um, so
0: but I mean you've had a couple of big events in town I mean yes. even, uh, there's been some at the library that have been over a hundred people right I mean yeah they, they've, they've been giant events that you've had yeah the chance to have dialogue with people that you maybe wouldn't otherwise
2: exactly and but. Um, uh, thanks to the, the outreach that we have which you know we knock on doors we make phone calls we put up flyers everywhere but um, the local newspaper the courier and um, the Prescott Valley Tribune have really been good partners in helping to get the, our events on the calendars um, because they are community events so so that's really that's been a huge help, and then it's just because we have them every month, one or two or three, collaboratively also with other like-minded organizations. So it's a great opportunity when you have 120 people that are interested in environmental action and um, and you know, what to do about the climate crisis. Then we always have flyers for the next event. So then, and we, um, I always hand out three or four flyers so that they, um, people will invite their friends. And so that's the whole idea is that we, you get critical mass um, behind um, and supporting the change that we need to really um, shift things.
1: One of the important elements of all that is that while polls both in Arizona and nationally show that Over 70% of Americans and Arizonans believe that climate change is real. The problem is that friends and family aren't talking about it. So that's why community organizing is so important to the entire movement. The other thing that the movement does is we're solution focused. So we're providing ideas to individual citizens, but through Kerry's work in particular, We're trying to mobilize them to actually act, not just do something different at home, but get involved in trying to make systemic change within our community, within our state, nation.
0: You know, uh, just to let people know uh, that are watching, we actually had this conversation uh, about a month ago, and we had some technical difficulties and we couldn't air it, unfortunately, because it was a really good conversation. I think this is gonna flow on the same lines. But well, again, we'll try to remember what we said. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a couple of things I definitely want to talk about. And one of the things that we were talking about, I had said that, you know, like I, I feel personally like I've, I've done everything I could. I, we have an electric car. We've cut back on any of the reusable plastics that we could. We tried many ways. And one of the things that we've always wanted to back away from is cutting out burgers if we wanted burgers or something. And that's that was really tough for me. But one of the yeah. things that you said to me, and maybe you could repeat it, was that... You know, it's, it's not about, it's about everybody making the changes that they can yes. to make it better. It's not about, you need to stop eating meat. You need to stop using plastic straws. you
1: need to stop flying on an airplane. Or, or right. you need to stop <laughs> flying
0: an airplane, which right. is another big thing that I've seen people talk about. Exactly. More. You know, that's and that was such a, I mean, really, not eye-opening, because I, I believe in climate change. I believe it's happening, you know. but But I think for people out there to know that it's about making the changes that fit with your life, that you can accomplish to make it better is that accurate in
1: to a degree it's accurate yeah. it, because that is very important at the same time so it's sure. not either or it's both and at the same time we actually need to make systemic changes around our production and use of energy so mm-hmm. it's it's so ultimately that will result in different products so it may result in more electric cars as an example but mm-hmm. That is really key to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It's dealing with the whole energy production, distribution, sure. and and utilization, consumption throughout our throughout our country. And like you indicated and Carrie and I both agree in agriculture and the food system as well. So it's not just industrial use of energy, but a significant use of energy in agriculture.
2: Well, and I think that's why when this started, um, this movement started many years ago with Al Gore, and the reason that he called it an inconvenient truth is because it is inconvenient, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's so easy to say that, um, well, I believe climate change is real and global warming, but what can I really do about it is me not, um, using a plastic cup really going to make a difference, or that pepperoni, I used to say this to myself all the time, that pepperoni's already on the pizza. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. um, so what that boils down to is really, um, it's just awareness and consciousness, first of all, and just um, being aware of, um, that it does make a difference. But, Following the, um, which is kind of, um, I'm not sure anybody wants to follow the trail of production of pepperoni. I have no idea how I got on that particular <laughs> subject, but that's what this is about, is like, well, what what is what is the big deal about pepperoni pizza, right? And so then that's what our speakers and our, our scientists study, and they, they tell you what is wrong with it. And... The real change is, yeah, sure, you can stop eating pepperoni pizza, but how the um, pepperoni and the agriculture um, uh, businesses are being subsidized by our government—that's where the policy change needs to be made. So, how how inexpensive is um, you know uh, pepperoni pizza? So so inexpensive, and I just saw um, that. Uh, Fruits and vegetables have gone up 118%. And and I don't know how, for, for how long of that time period. In price. Yep. Yeah. Because we don't farm for, we don't, our, our farms don't farm, um, they don't rotate their crops. They get subsidized for corn and soy. So, so what are what are farmers going to do? Like I can I can do these organic rotating crops, which is good for the environment, good and healthy food for people, um, and take risks that if it doesn't rain and I lose my crop, that I don't get subsidized, or I can just um, just do what everybody else is doing and um, do the soy crop, make sure if you you have insurance, right? So if if your crop fails, you get a check from the government. So which I'm not saying that that is bad, but we have to be able to shift that, um, those laws and policies to support organic growing and, and how important, who, who knew how important taking care of our soil was? Well, I do now because I go to all my talks because right. that's my job. And so that's what's so great about this organization and the others that um, we partner with is, all we're doing is trying to provide education so that people, um, when, when propositions come up on um, shifting Arizona to us um, a higher percentage of um, renewable energy by a certain year, that people under, have a fundamental understanding of what that means in their heart and their minds, and they can easily vote, instead of us having to go out and organize in three weeks and say, you have to vote yes, or blah, 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 you know. it's mm. So that's what we're doing. This is the long game. Like this isn't, uh, climate change and global warming isn't going anywhere. It's, um, from our perspective, human-caused. And so we, as humans, have a responsibility, we believe, to change mm-hmm. the way that we, we do things um, to, to make it better. Well,
1: and I think that ties into what I was saying that it's, it's beyond individual action. So it really is policy changes like you were just talking about, and it's political action as you were alluding to as well. So um, that needs to happen at the local level, state level, nationally, and globally. So uh, we're mobilizing folks to look at candidates in a nonpartisan way that are concerned about our planet, the health of our planet, whether that is from a religious motivation, for example, Mm -hmm. that this is God's earth, or a sense that this is our common home, or it's mother earth, whatever spiritual or secular tradition you might adhere to, what are you gonna do about that?
0: Sure. Oh, so I actually got a question mm-hmm. uh, from Glenn. Hey, Glenn, oh. how are you doing? Uh, Glenn <laughs> asks, uh, just because we we're talking about nonpartisan, looking at candidates and seeing what? all your organizations are nonpartisan. Is that right? Uh, there's no, they don't?
2: Nonpartisan, non-electoral. Mm-hmm.
0: So Glenn asked if, um, it sounds like the names of them are all leftist or socialist or progressive groups. Um, have they ever spoken, any of you, or anyone ever spoken with RWAP, or Andrew riddle or the Republican Men's Forum, or the Avoca County Republican Women? Any, any of the groups ever approach you guys, or?
2: Um, no one's approached me, and I have yet to approach them. I've just now, because all I do is like, Go to the library, but I would love to bring our presentations Absolutely. to um, all, the whole entire community if they would have us. And we do
1: have we do have partners actually not here in Press but but elsewhere in in the state um, and nation, uh, like Citizen Climate Lobby, that work very closely on bipartisan issues. Mm-hmm. Um, for for example, carbon fee and dividends. Citizen Climate Lobby focuses on pulling Republicans and Democrats together to do that. But I'm, I'm with Kerry. I'd love to open up that that area of dialogue. What I have personally seen in the time that we've been working on this over the last couple of years through this collaboration, um, I've seen that we are preaching beyond that progressive uh, element of, of Prescott actually. And we're we're not just preaching to the choir. We're seeing new, new people come in that had maybe been interested but now are willing and interested in taking another another step. But uh, Glenn, you're absolutely right, that that needs to be a focus of, of our work, and perhaps we shouldn't wait for them to call us, but we should begin to, to reach out, and we'll, yeah, it's a we'll great take that point. to heart.
2: And it's actually um, one element of the job that I, um, being that it was nonpartisan and um, non-electoral, because my organizing experience was political, and so I was like, oh, I don't even know, well, how would I do that? But I love it because I get to um, talk to everybody about, um, so I don't, so I'm learning more because I'm not just speaking to one audience and we're just like preaching to the choir, living in our own little world of, you know, whatever we believe. So um, <laughs> that's really not, um, I, actually, I think that th- this work could be modeled in all of the, the political structure, and I think that's kind of where I would like to see our, our country go, go back to being more, um, more about open debate and conversation, so that we can learn. Like, well, how do you how um, I never thought about it that way. Like those that's kind of I've
0: conversations. That's how my life mm-hmm. is having these conversations with people right. that you might not agree with. And I think right. that's
1: Well, for example, I I have spent the last five years focused on the faith community. Because that's what candidly motivated my participation in in the climate change issue. And, yeah, I don't know whether they're Republican or Democrat. Um, I'm just there extending that message.
0: Sure. And I think one of the things that we talked about last time was that this is not a Democrat or Republican issue, but it's an issue that affects everybody. And I think the solutions tend to lean one way or the other, but um, it... I mean, I feel like that,
2: um, we have a speaker, amazing, Brian Peterson from Mm -hmm. NAU, and his talk was specifically about that. Like, he said, it's not that we don't agree about climate change, we don't agree on the solution for climate change. And so his whole talk was about that. It was fairly controversial, lots of fireworks. And um, I know for a fact that there was all demographics in that audience because we co-sponsored it with the Prescott United Methodist Church, so there were a lot of people that I hadn't normally seen that to our regular presentations at the library and I loved it. It just sparked all kinds of uh, conversation and ultimately at the end of the day, my, because everybody, um, you know, at the end of the day, for me, he had even me thinking about the solutions differently Um, and, you know, just what he doesn't want people to do is just settle and say, well, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, I have solar panels, I have my electric car, done. Like, I'm doing my part in my little bubble, and I'm
0: fine. I'm feeling personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know I don't have an electric car? <laughs> but, um,
2: so, and that's that's the the great thing about it. We literally, that was in Mar- February, we still talk about that presentation, and I'm just about ready to book him over in um, Clarkdale, so but, I'm but to
1: the point about solutions, yeah, I think there's a fear, uh, particularly with respect to the impact that this could have on our way of life. But our way of life is threatened by climate change. Mm-hmm. So some type of systemic paradigm shift needs to occur. And we should not idealize the word capitalism to suggest that, the, that we're totally free market because as Kerry suggested, with the subsidies to the agricultural sector, with the and subsidies fossil. to the utilities and oil and gas and fossil fuel industry, that's not capitalism, exactly. so we shouldn't get hung up on the, the, that, that part of the economy because the idea is that over time, and it has to be quicker than most people accept, over time we need to transition to a type of economy and uh, the use of renewable energy that will allow our pe- planet, I hate to say this, to survive.
2: Yeah, and it's all about innovation and creating new jobs. It's, it's a shift, right? right? But you, we, we have to get started. So it's, I think viewing it as like catastrophic and negative is, wrong, is a wrong way to look at it. I think that you we can frame it as an opportunity to do better, to innovate, and to really um, just be the leaders, as we should be, in the world. And that brings me back to when we were talking before, you had talked about the Paris Climate Agreement. And so I don't know a whole lot about all of that. But what I do know is that um, a lot of people um, feel like they're they're personal. If I don't eat meat, that's not going to make a difference because Patrick's eating meat. So we cancel each other out. So if America is leading and doing all of this, but China, as everybody loves to point their fingers at China or India because they're producing everything that we buy... um, that uh, if they're not doing it, then it cancels out us. So that's what the Paris Climate Agreement is about. Well, I mean, Patrick can speak to it more, but from my my ordinary-minded perspective as just a human (laughs) being that lives, is that that is to bring all the countries together so that we're all in lockstep working toward common goals.
1: And if we, which we have, if we pull out of the paris climate agreement and we're not at the table that sends a signal to china and india they don't care enough and yet they're trying to compel us persuade us that we need to reduce our consumption levels Mm -hmm. that just doesn't make sense and i remind people every time i talk about the paris climate agreement three countries are not in the paris climate Agreement. syria nicaragua Oh, North Korea, isn't it? And us. I actually
0: didn't know that Those North Korea the was three. part of the climate change so, agreement. So <laughs>
1: that kind of sends a message that the political leadership globally believes this needs to be solved globally. Uh, we need to be at the table.
0: So let's uh, just really circle back really quick and talk about what the Paris Climate Change Agreement is. Because I think people see, you know, they, they they name like the things. Like there's the Paris Climate Change Agreement, there's the Green New Deal, and
1: it, it is not the Green New Deal. So it,
0: they're they're not the same right, thing, but right, they right. I, I think maybe a lot of people don't know what they are exactly when they just say Paris Climate Change Agreement. What is the climate what was the agreement? The, are you guys familiar with the agreement enough to know it? Somewhat. Okay.
1: The the agreement was in effect for each country to establish certain benchmarks across a whole range of metrics or measures. Of what needed to be done in order to reduce the level of greenhouse gas emissions to acceptable levels globally so as scientists and particularly with the United Nations taking the lead on this they could identify whether or not that was sufficient or not and then ultimately it's not an ironclad thou shall it's We hope you will, and we're going to continue to apply pressure on each other Mm -hmm. throughout the process. So, who
0: created those benchmarks for the United States?
1: So, the Obama administration would have put benchmarks together. So, the
0: United States created their own benchmarks. Oh, sure. Yeah, they're not
1: given to us. Each country is going to establish their own benchmarks and establish their own schedule for when they hope to. To get to, say, a certain level of renewable energy by X date.
2: Based on science that's yes. provided to them.
1: Right. Got it. So, um, yes, for those that would argue that we're a smaller percentage of the contribution to climate change and greenhouse emissions in light of China and India and even some other developing countries who are reliant on coal and other fossil fuels. It's a legitimate statement, but it's not a legitimate argument for not participating in something at a global scale because you are not alone here in the United States or other leaders in Northern Europe, for example, are not gonna solve it without all of us being together. And then you have less developed countries who are not contributing as much to greenhouse gas emissions because they don't have those types of robust industrial economies. They're the ones generally who are on the brunt of climate change impacts. So they need to be at the table too because we need to hear their stories and how they're going to be impacted by increasing temperatures, increasing mm-hmm. sea rise, drought, et cetera.
0: Sure. Sure. So let's then, I guess we talk about more policy. You guys have brought in, uh, one of the things that Flagstaff did was a vulnerability study for climate change. Yeah. And it's something that you guys would like to see here in Prescott or the Quad City areas as well. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that actually. Okay. Because that's, that's a little bit closer to home. It's mm-hmm. what's happening. So tell, tell me what is, or tell everybody else, what is the vulnerability study that Flagstaff did? So
1: Flagstaff did an assessment in 2012 regarding primarily looking at city and some connected county agencies. Uh, that were engaged in what I would call climate risks. So actually they did the same thing that we're doing is we're not characterizing as climate change, we're characterizing as they did as climate impacts because no one generally argues um, about climate impacts on wildfire, climate impacts on agriculture, for example, or the fact that we're here in Arizona, particularly in the desert and, and in our particular area as well, seeing increase increased temperatures. Um, but they may have an ideological partisan argument around the word climate change. So yeah, so successfully they put that together in 2012 and over time, I don't know all of the evolution, but by 2018, they actually developed a climate change adaptation plan. And that included the entire community. Um, And and so they, similar to what we're talking about with the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, communities across the country, whether they call it vulnerability assessments or climate resiliency plans, whatever they end up terminology they end up using that works for their own community. Communities across the country are looking at, well, what, what can we do locally? Sure. And, and, and I, that's what we're proposing. I, and
2: I think what would be interesting for the audience to understand, what well, we jumped from the Paris Climate Agreement, which is the, the world initiative, to local um, municipal initiatives, and that's where the Green New Deal comes into play. And, um, I just don't even think it got a fair shot at all of really explaining what the purpose of that resolution was. Um, but, um, and it, it was to, um, set goals for our, our, country. So then you have your local, uh, you have, you have your local state and then, um, worldwide initiative. So that's how this all is going to work together. Like it, that, that ties it all together. So, um. That's and I definitely we want to on. talk
0: about the Green New Deal a little bit as well, and mm-hmm. and I think we, we can't have this conversation without talking about Greta Thunberg as well. Right, right, right. But uh, just to get back to uh, yeah, let me con- and the, Oh yeah, well, let ahead.
1: me continue on with what we're doing. Yeah. So sure. the the coalition uh, and two of our members, myself and another member, um, have been meeting with stakeholders within the city and within the county uh, around the viability of doing a vulnerability assessment. We've met with uh, roughly 50 people in about 13 or 14 meetings over the last four or five months, and we're still continuing those meetings. We made a presentation to the city manager in early September, um, and if you don't mind, uh, we provided him a full report of what our Takeaways were and what our rationale was for proceeding forward with the vulnerability assessment. I'd like to just read a handful of the takeaways yeah. from all of the research that we did, all of the meetings that we had with and these stakeholders. Is there
0: anywhere that people can access this information as well? Okay,
1: bringing that up with Carrie oh, after sure. this meeting. <laughs> um, so we identified that there were four major impacts: so wildfire hotter temperatures, drought, and flooding. And we found out one of our key takeaways is there is a lot of collaboration occurring, uh, particularly in the area of wildfires. But one of the other takeaways is they're not looking at it through a climate change lens. They're looking at historical data and, and what's happened in the last five years, what's happened in the last 20 years. But they're not actually recognizing the... Drastic impacts that can occur through climate change that will um, not um, that will be too significant for the some of the actions that we're currently taking um, but we, we did find some areas where we felt that there was some some good work going on but what we did find is that climate impact risks for the elderly for more vulnerable populations for folks living in mobile home communities for example um, that those kind of discrete vulnerable populations are not being looked at in all of those various impact areas Uh, and candidly that's what they found with uh, the sad tragic uh, events and fire that that occurred in paradise california and the loss of life there. Um, so that was something that, we've, that we're that we kind of looking at. For example, um, I'm just being honest, I haven't been successful at getting into our public health agency. I even talked to one official um, at the public health uh, department that uh, clearly did not believe in climate change. So we need to work on that because public health is really one of the key impacts of the changes that are going to impact our community in the area of climate change. The The other thing that kind of came through for us is, and, and this is known by some folks in our community, particularly within the fire department, uh, within the Prescott Area Wildland Urban Interface Commission and, and likely city council, the potential for a catastrophic wildfire event in our community, in the city of Prescott, not, in other areas outside, in our city, we're surrounded by forests. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and when it happens, it's going to be catastrophic. So um, that's something, okay, so how do we, what's that, what's that make us do differently? We need, we need to look even uh, more closely at that, at our evacuation constraints. That was the other major problem in Paradise County was they had they did not have a good alert system or an evacuation system. Um, I had mentioned the uh, public, public health issues. Um, so we ended up telling the city manager that we're more convinced than ever of the need for a local Prescott vulnerability assessment. The gaps exist between the severity of a risk and a deeper understanding of the adaptive capacity within our own community to local climate impacts. Um, including our own city's general plan. So, I'm sad to say that um, the the results of that were not particularly successful. Um, The city manager's office felt that um, it needs to be a regional approach and we would agree. And so that's something we're trying to figure out how how to address. Um, But I do think it gets back to what we started off at the beginning, it's still being viewed ideologically, uh from a partisan politics standpoint so what Glenn said earlier is very true uh, is that we need to somehow visit visit and encourage those that have different perspectives um, to in- engage in in conversation with and us
2: I, I do want to um, uh, shine a light on the fact that uh, Patrick and Debbie who led up this um, this whole project of all these meetings, uh, So they're volunteers. They're they're tirelessly working on behalf of our community to bring um, sustainability and this vulnerability assessment program to the city of Prescott with no, nothing to gain from it. So they don't have a business that should, we put together a program that their business is going to be contracted to help. I just think that's really important to, to um, make that clear to everybody that Yavapai Climate Change Coalition is um, their organizations but and they're not tied to any special interest groups and that we're really here to be proactive to protect our community from catastrophic fires that just was um, happened six hours from here and um, you know we just had Joe Trudeau from the Center for Biological Diversity give a talk on um, all about fire and it was an incredible presentation and um, and my takeaway was um, you know we need to be more proactive and we need to we need to learn more about what, What the um, prescribed burns mean, what does it mean to be logging? And I didn't even know that fire suppression meant like we're putting out the fires. Like, so that those are just simple things that I think people don't understand, and that fire suppression is actually causing more harm than good to prevent future fires. So it's counterintuitive, and it's more important than ever that we're proactively managing our forests in a way that um, addresses these vulnerability the vulnerability of our community Mm -hmm.
0: so if we talk a second this the 10 key takeaways that you have are for a vulnerability study not just just to see what can be mitigated is that kind of accurate? well the
1: takeaways were more what Findings did we have after talking to all these stakeholders in you know particular sectors of our community? So um, you
2: did some listening along. Right. With so talking. it was
1: much more listening than engaging in, in dialogue. Telling
2: them what to do. You, you know, know, we're not we're right. not meeting and saying this is what you need to do in exactly. order to prevent this. So right. It's, right.
1: But the vulnerability assessment is designed to be, do that and mm-hmm. pull the community together. It's more. A collaborative process so it uh, yes the science part of it is very important but uh, my assessment of Flagstaff and other communities and consultants that I've spoken to nationally uh, is that it's the collaborative process that brings the community together uh, and um, yeah, the city of Flagstaff for example uh, has created a, a really intensive engagement process the with mm. the entire
0: community. So the first step of this would be a vulnerability assessment for, right. for Prescott or the region, if, if that's the case. Yeah. After that, then you go to a mitigation, you called it an adaptability yeah. plan or what, what was the yeah. Name? yeah,
1: adaptation or mitigation and adaptation, right. So you can mitigate some things, but other things, you're not going to change the temperature. So you <laughs> sure. you you only mitigate the impacts mm-hmm. of those and increasing adapt, temperatures, and how and you, you adapt, adapt is yeah.
2: you know should there be fires, make sure that we have evacuation plans in place, and so you know it's I, it's win win. Well, yeah, as an it.
1: example, one of the things that we I came was across. I just going to
0: ask about some examples of what Flagstaff did. Well, I, would, I was going to
1: go off just a slightly different direction, and that is that um, as I pointed out earlier, none of the stakeholders are doing much forecasting. Mm. But one of the forecasts that we discovered was that potentially by 2050, Prescott could have 90 days of the year over 90 degrees. Obviously, incredibly worse than Phoenix, I might add. I looked at Mm. those numbers too. It was gonna be, frankly, very difficult issues for them. We currently have maybe seven, so what's that mean? Well, nobody's asking those kinds of questions. So that's all we're suggesting, is we need to sit down in a larger collaborative instead of each sector doing their thing, because it will affect our quality of life, as Kerry indicated. It will also affect our tourism economy and our overall economic Mm. prosperity. So we need to get a handle on that, and again, it doesn't have to be partisan-based.
2: But it also will impact the homeless population. You have to talk about um, climate migration from Phoenix. People will be, you know, essentially dying down there from the heat. Where are they going to go? So the northern parts of um, Arizona and other places throughout the country have to be um, taking all of that into consideration and planning for it in advance. So that's all we're trying to do. So the study is,
0: is just to know, even if you don't believe that climate change is caused by man. Right and you believe that climate change is, is happening. Right, the temperatures increasing. This plan would help to see what those impacts are going to be. Right, whether it is homelessness, whether right, it is right, right. temperature rise. And yeah, it doesn't.
2: You know whether you believe it or not, the the science is real on the environmental impacts that we have in our community with with drought and higher temperatures, and water. So those three things are that's happening here in our region. Yes. and so. Um, you know, we you can say that the cause is whatever you want, but it's what that's what's happening. You know, we we happen to believe that it's climate impacts and the the changes with global warming and all of that. So, but but what we don't want to do is say that and then have people be like shut down yes, be exactly. like, nope, I'm not listening to what you have to say. So we have to be. What, you know, we're, so you don't this have is to worry about, about sustainability. The cause, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's just talk about what the facts are. What the are. facts are
1: in terms of temperature rises. So, temperature. so
0: just to return, uh, yeah. do you know some of the things that Flagstaff is doing to mitigate some of these these I've risks? Just, I've, I've not, not studied that. I feel them like you detail.
2: asked us that question last time, and we we didn't. Um, we, uh, I didn't uh, Mayor Coral Evans yes. actually brought um, the climate action adaptation plan, the actual. Um, you know, hard copy of it and gave it to our mayor Mangarelli uh, when he introduced her to speak last Earth Day. We mm-hmm. want to make sure to talk about Earth Day 2020. But um, so, uh, so he, um, our, our leader of our community has all the information um, and plus we've got um, movement, you know, um, trying to knock on some doors and engage in con- um, um, dialogue about this so that we can press forward at whatever pace you know, will work, but hopefully just that we move forward in some
1: fashion. I think what you'll find is that most communities that are involved in adaptation are largely looking at city operations first Hmm. and they're looking at ways for including Flagstaff at ways that they can uh, reduce their own impact on greenhouse gas emissions and a movement towards renewable energy so they're they're looking at the electrification of their vehicle system they're looking at the use of solar power and other renewable energies they changed they're, out
2: other lighting sources i i believe yeah. they did that so yeah. there's like there's just plenty looking at ways locally here i'm sorry i just got really excited because <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to um, sacred heart church who invested a uh, uh, it was a big capital investment for their school and their church, and they're completely um, a renewable model of um, um, to, to Toward renewable energy. I mean, I don't have they have all their um, statistics and everything but we kind of featured them at our solar presentation um, in the beginning of the year and it was incredible and yeah, it does take it does take an investment, but you know it's it has to be worthwhile because if we don't do anything, then we have nothing. So it's it's kind of it's like it's a catch twenty two sometimes in people's minds, but it literally isn't. It's just a shift, like it's a shifting of the resources. The resources are there; they're just being put toward the the wrong industries, and that they should be more innovative. And um, so hopefully we'll get there eventually. I, I saw
1: something the other day from Flagstaff where they were really spending a some time on talking about bike sharing. Uh, and so the, the use of bikes as a mode of transportation throughout their community uh, would, would, would be another way. So th- it ranges from what we've already talked about, small changes to major changes that might even result, likely would, it certainly happened in Bisbee, a study that uh, Debbie looked at recently. Where you're moving to more renewable energy really reduce their energy costs too.
0: Sure, and and I think that's that's part of it as well. Is that a lot of these changes? If you're going towards LED lights and those things, you're actually saving money over time. Right, right, right. um, I do. There's so many things we can talk (laughs) about here. We could talk about bike share programs, (laughs) scooter. I mean, there are so many things. Exactly. I do want to talk about the Green New Deal before we you know get too, too far away from, from the, the core of it so the Green New Deal when we were talking the last time um, first I guess we should talk about what the Green New Deal is would one of you guys like to explain what it is well <laughs> um, I,
1: I don't purport to be an expert as well but I I see it more as a bold vision um, others see it as a a laundry list of socialist programs. I don't see it that way at all. I I see that there are major impacts that will result from all of this. But the Green New Deal is designed to move us to a different type of economy based on a renewable energy um, model and uh, a reduction uh, and a cessation of um, the not more production of fossil fuels it doesn't say that fossil fuels are are going to be gone by X date but rather that they're likely at some point would be no new fossil fuel development but that's what you have to do because it's the generation of electricity it's the, gen- and, the and the the generation of energy through petroleum that accounts for 84% of greenhouse gas emissions you can't ignore that I mean, it's the elephant in the room, you name it, and and then you figure out ways to deal with it. Um, But what I personally like about the Green New Deal, in addition to that particular focus, is that it's kind of like Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. You just stole Um, my,
2: that's what I was waiting for. But you go, Patrick. And and
1: because that New Deal looked at all sorts of impacts that were occurring in our country at the time during that depression, and, gr- and rolled out a whole number of uh, initiatives and programs. And that's what the Green New Deal would do to uh, address, uh, again, the most vulnerable populations, bring about a certain level of social and economic justice that, um, and a transition to a renewable energy economy because yes there will be some loss for those of our listeners who are concerned about the coal industry yes that will likely happen but it's happening now anyway uh and it's actually a very small component of our of our job base um and accordingly actually i think that will be the easier transition to make but yeah it's
2: just the the green new deal is exciting it you know it's always um it's, it's always a choice that you have to make as to how you view something. So, first of all, it's not a bill in Congress. It's a resolution, which is um, uh, your lawmakers and your representatives acknowledge that what the Green New Deal is saying and proposing is uh, viable and good for America. So it's like, yeah, you know, but like... And so then, once you get everybody to agree to that, then you sit around a table and you have those... Um, those bipartisan debates about how do we get there, right? So it's not, this isn't just a one, um, you know, a party agenda and this is it, this is the law. It's a resolution to start the conversation and to start the work toward that goal.
1: So what happened though is that generated significant pushback <laughs> for a variety of different reasons and all of a that sudden, be the biggest all of a sudden you have this you know, trillion-dollar budget of what what it's going to cost to get from X, Y, and Z. Um, And I'm going to say it, even Democratic candidates are talking about what those costs are going to be. They're talking about it in a way that suggests don't worry about it. We need to make that kind of investment. But the point is, we don't know until we move forward. It's almost like locally. We don't Mm -hmm. know until we move forward what have we agreed on. And then you start... The typical congressional process of determining, okay, what what programs do we think are most important? What are we going to implement first? And then, how much is it going to cost? I mean,
2: I think it's exciting that it even sparked the conversation that it did. Negative or positive, we're talking about it. And at some point, when our government starts functioning and making laws that benefit um, the people of our country, you know, it'll be there for us to um, to open up that book again and look at. And I, I, um, I know that time will come again soon, I hope.
0: Yeah, there are so many components to it. And the one that I brought up the last time we talked about the Green New Deal, the one that sticks in my mind the most and is, is the um, the national security portion of, of uh, its economic security. It's, mm-hmm. you know, at one point, if we're not dependent on fossil fuels from other countries, that makes the United States safer. But the economic impact of having to build windmills or having to build solar or get those industries... Created, right. we could have manufacturing solar plants here in the United States, we which should. would bring a lot of jobs. Exactly, right. but building that and moving towards that is going to cost a lot of money. And it will take time, and national security plays a big role for me in that. Yeah, yeah, you know? like good I, point. I,
1: the so other thing about national security that's often neglected is that our Department of Defense has been looking at climate change impacts on our bases around the world for probably two decades. Um, I'm not saying they're prepared because I don't know, but they're not deniers. They recognize that it's happening and that they need to be prepared for national security reasons. So their
2: department has acknowledged it and they are working toward, you know, making us safe. Great. You know, exactly. We just uh, would like everybody to kind of get on board. So when you have more and you have the critical mass, then when you achieve more and everybody's in, then that's where the money comes from. That's where the investment. And so when we are all we all are working toward a common goal, it would it'll be easier on everybody and our planet.
0: Yeah. Well, great, guys. Um, gosh, we can talk about a lot of different things. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, is there anything else specifically yeah. you wanted to talk about? Um,
1: I'd like to mention... Uh, one thing in particular that I'm, if this was what you were going to talk about Carrie just shows great minds think just alike take all his youth. points, youth his <laughs> youth
2: yeah young people so
1: um, september 20th Kerry uh, and ycc to put uh, a great event on uh, climate march and rally uh courthouse and
2: uh, um, initiated by your beloved Greta Thunberg, globally. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. So it was a global event. Um, it was the largest turnout that we'd had for a climate event, gathering, march, or all we had, I think it's on video, it's we like had over four hundred. There were quite a few people. And there. what that was one that was great. The other thing that was great about it was led by youth. So um, our two key speakers uh, were young ladies from North Point. And they did a great job. They carried the banner throughout on the, on the march. Um, and I, we see some opportunities for increasing the role of youth because many of my generation who feel that we've candidly failed our youth in this respect um, are anxious to support youth in any way we can, whether it be, you know, Greta's efforts, and there's a half a dozen other kinds of youth organizations around our state that are getting involved in climate change.
0: Just really quick, in case people don't know, since we're mentioning Greta, who okay. is Greta? Who, who is Greta Thunberg? So
1: she's a 16-year-old Swedish activist. She started the Friday School Strike movement by actually just, uh, I can't remember where she actually sat, but she... The skipped at, the, at the parliament Sweden. in mm-hmm. Sweden, and she... Um, took off Friday by herself, rain, snow, whatever, she just sat there uh, in protest every every Friday. Um, And it frankly went viral in a very short period of time. And so from that, she's she's become probably the major voice. We're, We're also going to, several of us are going to a climate 2020 summit in Flagstaff on November 15th and 16th. And there's a real strong emphasis on youth at that summit and we're excited to, to see that as well too. And we're working with uh, Prescott College now uh, to put on uh, an event on um, November 20th that uh, where we have an outside speaker coming from Al Gore's Climate Reality Project. I've had that training as well. We have a speaker coming. Uh, to the college and so again another area where we'd like to focus is you know, c- our college student campus population too whether it be yavapai prescott college or amber and if you so wanna, I have some hope about it all. if
2: you want to see the video of the rally it's really professionally oh, yeah. done i had some volunteers <laughs> help out with that it's five minutes it's on our website it's um, nazca.org n-a-z-c-c-a.org it's our acronym so um yeah that was really exciting and we're still trying to um, keep the youth engaged um, you know in this community that they're kind of a marginalized demographic but uh, um, we're trying to kind of spark some more um, energy behind that and then we're super excited that um, i came on board and collaborate started collaborating with the environmental um, organizations here in the prescott area january 2019 and then I was like, yeah, let's do something for Earth Week because everybody loves Earth Week. That's super fun to talk about and to do. So we did. So First there one. was Earth Day that we've always had that, and then we organized and expanded around that. And so this, and we kind of we kind of worked together, and then kind of not. So because we kind of came to the table a little bit late, but Patrick um, sat on the committee. Um, but th- for 2020, they've invited a few new people, myself, um, Abby Brill, <laughs> and a few other um, community members to work on the Earth Week um, agenda and um, activities for 2020 because it's the 50th. This it's the 50th anniversary for Earth yeah. Day, so.
1: So we want to we want to do a blowout kind of event. Um, I believe Earth. Day, April 22nd is on a Wednesday, so we're actually going to do Earth Day the week, the weekend before, I think Day that's 18th. April 18th, mm-hmm. um, and then we're talking about how could we have a more significant impact, um, not only on the Earth Day event itself, but also f- for the succeeding week uh, of activities following, so. Yeah, so
2: that's, that's really exciting. Um, yeah. But... I guess that's it. I mean, we, um, in support of, like, um, working with the, I do need to mention that um, when organizations like Yavapai Climate Change um, Coalitions, working with the city, should it come to a point where there was a, um, you know, We wanted to bring a proposal. Um, Northern Arizona Climate Change Alliance has a um, petition. It's informal, but we ask people to sign it that support climate action and shift from fossil fuel to renewable energies within their communities and incentives um, to sign the petition so that when organizations make that move to work with the city, we can say, there's 5,000 people in the city that support this type of um, action and shift. so that, that's really cool. So Great. Yeah. Is
0: there a place online that people can sign the petition no, if they wanted to?
2: Not yet, but we're, uh, hopefully we're going to be working on it. Um, I think we have 800 signatures now, and I've got 900 people in our database that are a part of the movement, and, which is incredible.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: A short period of time. So, Great.
0: Well, we don't have any more questions, so any final thoughts that you guys have? This, I mean, it's a huge issue, and we could easily have jumped off into right. any number of different directions to talk about what we can do or what can be done well you can
2: visit our website it's pretty um it's pretty lengthy as far as like information and also recommendations i hope with some links to partner organizations that's nazcca.org and then we're going to be working to try to get a um, a little page for YCCC on our website so that whatever work we're doing on, we can direct people there, like these points of um, the outcome of the mm-hmm. vulnerability assessment um, study that they did working with the city. So yeah, visit our website, stay engaged, come to all of our events. We're um, on the, the community city calendar. Mostly our events are posted there or around. And if you want to volunteer, you can also sign up on my website. So.
1: Well, I would reiterate a point that I made earlier that this is a moral imperative. This is the existential threat to life on our planet. And it's a reality that's here now. And we're hopeful that those kinds of statements and comments don't make folks fearful, but rather recognizing that the type of response that Carrie's receiving on the petition process, on the level of volunteers, on the level of scale that we're seeing at the events, that people will actually come away from collaborating with us with a sense of hope for the future. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an empowerment, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Well, Patrick Grady, the Yavapai Climate Change Coalition Chair, Carrie Hall, the community organizer for the Northern Arizona Climate Change Alliance, Guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank Thank you, you, Prescottie News, for having us. Yeah, Yeah. thanks. And thank you for having your coffee with us today. Everybody, (laughs) have a great day.